Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. What a week it is. Oh my goodness, we have so much to talk about, O'Toole. <laughs> okay, where would you like to start, Hollister? Okay, so first, thanks for all the positive response to our list of six, which is hashtag list of six, which we inaugurated last week when we did a list of six novels that we thought should be brought to the screen. You know, Hollister, doesn't that make us sound a little bit like gangsters? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, by the way, the way I'm feeling, I could gangster girl for sure. Yeah, and then we did hear from Laulu. Now, she suggested a book you'd read, right? She suggested Little B. And then also the Case Carpetta series by Patricia Cornwell. Okay, neither of which, none of which I've read. Now, where did Women's Murder Club, which, by the way, is just how I'm feeling this week. I'm ready to murder everybody. <laughs> so I'm totally, is that is that one of the series? It had been a series. I loved it. It starred Angie Harmon and three other women. It fell victim to the writer's strike, but that was based on the James Patterson novels oh, okay. by the same name, uh-huh. Women's Murder Club. So, so I thought of that immediately when Lalu suggested the Case Carpetta series. So we were thrilled that you guys like our idea of list of six, which leads us to our picks for this week's hashtag list of six, brought to you by Melissa Cohn.mortgage. Melissa is one of the leading mortgage brokers in America, and you can find out more about her at www.melissacohn.mortgage. Thank you, Melissa. So, but this week, (laughs) I love this idea. We are doing the best films or television, Shrinks. Can I just start? Absolutely, Hollister. Do you want to lie down first? (laughs) Okay. I want to start with Judd Hirsch um, from Ordinary People. It was in, in 1980, and the only therapists we'd seen on films that I can remember were from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or Francis. And let's face it, none none of those therapists were people you wanted to talk to. And then Judd Hirsch showed up in Ordinary People like the perfect, kind, gentle prodder Dr. Berger. And all of a sudden, everybody wanted a therapist, and it was a moment in time. So uh, that was my first choice. Not to defy you right out of the chute, but I think the first on my list might actually precede your Judd Hirsch. Maybe I didn't see it. What is it? I think it's a psychiatrist that everybody wanted to spend time with, the Bob Newhart Show. Uh, you know, I... I never took him seriously as a shrink, did you? I loved Bob Newhart. Uh, I loved all his little gang of friends there with the dentist and the receptionist. I thought he was sort of a buffoon. Didn't you think Bob Newhart was sort of a buffoon? No. I really loved Suzanne Plachette as his wife. Okay. But I thought he seemed like such a nice guy. Okay, well, you can go and with I him. You go with him. only person on this planet. But you know how you loved Hugh Grant and Florence Foster Jenkins? I did, yes. I still think Hugh Grant and Bob Newhart have very similar huh. mannerisms. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Their eyes, the blinking of their eyes. The one I want to they're... sleep with and the other one I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to tell you, if you're not one of the three million people who has already seen the Bob Newhart skit on YouTube, okay. check it out. Google it. It's called Stop It. If you just look for Bob Newhart and Stop It, it's a therapy skit. And I understand that this is a real technique that you can use called pattern interruption. So not only is it funny, it might actually be a little beneficial. Okay, well, you go. I mean, so we have Judd Hirsch and Bob Newhart, very, very different mm-hmm. approaches. Okay, and then it would be sacrilege for me to ignore my dear Hannibal Lecter <laughs> from the best movie ever, Silence of the Lambs, which you haven't seen. And one day you're going to give in to me, O'Toole, because and see it. But he, I will, and when that day comes, I will probably need a psychiatrist. Granted, he had a dark side, but we all do, right? I mean, we all have a dark side, right? And he was really, really smart. The guy was smart and smart, 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 and he did in the end help her to, to totally shatter that case. 
So I'm going to go with Hannibal Lecter, and I'm going to give him a shout-out for my second choice. What about you? Okay, my next one's not a cannibal, so I don't want to disappoint <laughs> cannibal, you. Cannibal? <laughs> it would be Gabriel Byrne in HBO's In Treatment. Oh, this yeah. show was pretty revolutionary it was, when it yes, first came it on the air. It was based on an Israeli series, but I have to really give it to Gabriel Byrne because imagine being offered this part where the entire show, you're going to be seated. You have to act as though you're He's listening. He's seated it's through the whole thing. It's a pretty passive We part. see him in his, in his... Yeah, but you get what I mean. It's two people oh, in one yeah. room. Okay. It's something that makes for great drama in a theater, but it's not a show where you get to jump out of a cop car, or run around, or do a lot of physical movement. You're basically seated in the shrink's you know, chair the entire episode. I found episode. that to be the weakness of the show the show I loved the first four or five episodes and then the monotony of most of it taking place in his office and lack of you know of other visuals uh, you know for me um, I, I couldn't stick with it. Did you stick with it to the bitter end? I found it riveting. Huh. I didn't binge watch it. So it was a slow trip release for me. But for example, that episode with Blair Underwood, where he played a, an Iraqi war vet who's come home, I thought it was riveting TV, the push and pull between the therapist and the patient doing battle. Yeah, it was in this very room. good. Very good. I wonder, yeah. It was great acting, great yeah, writing. He was very good in it. Okay, and then my last choice, I having singled out two men, I just want to move to Barbara Streisand and Prince of Tides. And yes, 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 I know that her red fingernails would have gotten her disbarred. And sleeping with your patient's brother is close to the line of not cool. But I'm sticking with her anyway. I thought she was great. So me, Barbara, and, uh, and Prince of Tide is my third choice. That is so funny. Well, my third one's also female, and I just thought this was such a great tribute, tipping their hat to her in the original. It's Faye Dunaway in the Thomas Crown Affair remake, where she played Pierce she was Brosnan's such a, psychiatrist. She was such a bitch. In the remake? Yes. Don't you, she, come on. She was, she was jealous. Didn't you find her jealous to be that jealous girl who like couldn't believe somebody had sort of actually won him over? Did you really think no. she wished what was best for him? I didn't. I did not like her. I think you might have been a little jealous. I was totally. Are you? No, I was no. I wasn't jealous of Faye Dunaway. I was. Who was the person who was the who played opposite him? Renee yeah, Russo. I mean, I was jealous of her. I thought she was fabulous. What's happened? Happened. Whenever I talk, while you're tuning out what I say, the corners of your mouth go up. You're enjoying something. It's not me. What is it? An entertainment. Very little entertains you, so I can easily guess. A worthy adversary. Did someone swindle you? You know, it's one of those shows, this has got to be a future list of six, where I actually preferred the adaptation to the original. That, the original had that great scene with Faye Dunaway yeah. and Steve McQueen playing chess, but otherwise it's more of a snoozer. <laughs> that might be a little it blasphemy. A great movie. But, you know, it was a great know. movie. Great movie. So that's our list of six, hashtag list of six this week. Thanks again to Melissa Cohn.Mortgage for supporting us. And now we have to talk about this so much. I, I have not done one thing other than work and watch television <laughs> and go to movies. So, so guess what dropped into Netflix this week? The final season of The Fall. I'm still back in season one. I've got so much you catching have, you up know, to do. You just have to get your priorities in order, girlfriend. Okay, 
Well, you'll remember we reviewed it last year, and I watched the first four or five episodes. I'm I'm actually just now starting episode five out of six for the finale season, and it appears that he is not going to continue on his crime spree, and I'm just not sure that's a good thing for the ratings because part of the success of it was based on the suspense of him getting caught, and I'm not sure that this backstory of why he is the way he is is going to do it for me. But, gosh, it's good to see them together again on the, on the screen. Is that because he's got to go over to Fifty Shades Darker? Well, I was just going to say he's better as gray. You know, now that, you, you know, now that, he's, not, now that he's not strangling women <laughs> and he's just sort of lying there, you know, trying to recover from the bullet wounds, you know. Hollister, <laughs> oh, you uh, with your serial murderers. I know. I have a thing, definitely. But... Uh, but it's still good. It's she is just mesmerizing. Gillison is just amazing. And so I've spent a lot of this past weekend watching the third and final season of the fall. Now is Archie Punjabi still in it? Uh, no. Oh. Yeah, she's gone. Everybody's still sort of around a little bit. It's very, very slow moving. And it's not that it's not entertaining. It just doesn't have that fear factor that you know, the ups and downs of, oh, my God, who's going to die? Are she going to die? Are they going to catch him? Are they not going to catch him? You know, that, there was a great roller coaster ride of emotions in the first two seasons, and that is missing from this season, and I don't think it's the better for it. The fall has fallen. Yeah, exactly. And also this week, Good Girls Revolt, uh, which we reviewed a couple weeks ago. not really sure which podcast we reviewed it in, but it's now all there for everybody to take a look and see if you're, if you're interested. And yeah, it's getting solid. Amazon rev- Prime. Yeah, Amazon Prime, and it's getting solid reviews. So I haven't watched the rest of it yet, but I'm definitely planning to. Okay, so why don't we move then to what we did review together. We were asked to put to go back to Black Mirror, which I did with grave, grave, grave trepidation. So you may recall that I, I didn't sleep for weeks after watching just one episode of the first season of Black Mirror. I don't I'm know about you. but recovering from that as well. I know. That prime minister supposing... And the pig. The prime yeah, minister and, and the pig. I might never yeah. recover from that episode. I might not either. But anyway, somebody we value very much. Pink uh, Man one Cat. Of the people. She recommended yeah. this episode, and I thought, okay, if Pink Man Cat says that I can watch an episode called Nosedive without losing my face, I'm willing to go back in and give Black Bear another try. And okay, this is now, the Netflix continuation uh, versus the English production. That's true. That's true. But still, it goes pretty It goes pretty deep on a couple of them. If we drill down into the numbers, you have got a solid popularity arc here. Strong overall trajectory. Let's just look at the last 24 hours. You see, even... What's that? 8.40 a.m. You're working hard on your socials. Great little uptake there. A couple of minor dings there. You cut someone off in traffic? Oh, just a workplace... Okay. Let's check on your sphere of influence. Let me zoom out here. Great peripherals. Strangers like you, that's a plus. Healthy inner circle, that's good. Thank you. (laughs) I want to start by saying, I don't know how many of you use Uber. Do you use Uber? I've used it out in LA, where I thought it was really convenient. Well, my soon-to-be son-in-law... Um, asked me one day, well, what's your rating on Uber? And I said, what rating? And he said, well, they rate you as well as you rating them. And I said, oh, surely it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. So they go in, my daughter and her soon-to-be husband, and my rating is like the lowest rating in the history of the world. It's 3.6, which, by the way, out of five. But I don't know anybody who's not in the fours. I'm the only one. Anyway, and I became obsessed 
with my Uber rating. I started to bring treats for the drivers. Like, can I offer wow. you a candy bar? Or, I did. I did. I asked about their families. I, you know, I, I brought them water. I just became a crazy person to increase my Uber rating. Somebody I work with in New York who often orders a car for me, she finally said, could you give me your phone? I want to order your Uber from your phone. And I said, why? Just order it from yours, which is also on the company credit card. And she said, well, I don't want my rating to go down. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> anyway, Alistair, I have... can I even ask what made your rating drop? Well, we know that I'm a little bit like the person in broadcast news. Do you remember? <laughs> Holly Hunter? Yeah. The one always bursting into tears? Yeah. <laughs> and the one who, when she got in the cab, could not contain herself from telling them how to go. Uh-huh. But I'm a New Yorker. I know how to go. I know the fastest way to get places. Apparently, Uber people don't like that. But I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> now I'm just giving out treats and being very silent. But so so here we are. We're told to watch a nosedive, which is basically how in the future we're all going to walk around and we will be rated through social media. We'll be rated on how much people like us and how our interactions with both strangers and people we know are. We and try you have not to, to have be the... uber critical. <sighs> you, oh, you're, such a, you're so supportive. I, I just don't know how to thank you for your kindness. I didn't have to out myself as the lowest uber rated person in the history of the world. I think there was a little hidden pride there. <laughs> I think no, you were like the trust, Cherry Jones no, no, truck trust driver. Me, I look at it every time I come out of the Uber car. I do. I really don't want it to be the lowest. But anyway, so here it is. Nosedive is about this girl who just wants to be somebody through her social media rating. And it talk. It just walks us through the ups and downs. But it's really good. Didn't you think it was good? Well, the ubiquity of these <laughs> rankings. Everywhere you go, you order a latte. You pass by somebody. You're at the airport. People are ranking you constantly. And right now I'm reading the book Super Sad True Love Story by Gary Steingart, the guy that wrote Absurdistan. Wait, Super Sad what? Super Sad True Love Story. It's a great title, a great cover. Okay. And it's got the same phenomenon in it where everyone's walking around with their equivalent of the iPhone, which is called the apparat in this book. And they're constantly judging you. So people are trying to get their rankings as high as possible. And it does feel like where our society is headed, doesn't it? With these constant customer (laughs) satisfaction surveys and... And Uber ratings, I'm telling you, it's already begun. And Instagram and social media and how many people are clicking on your posts and who likes your photos. It's... It's a sad commentary on our society. It is a sad commentary. It is. But it was also really well done. And I thought she played it. Who is that? I have not seen her in anything. Have you? I think you have. have. That's Bryce Dallas Howard, Ron Howard's daughter. Uh, Oh, I didn't know that's his daughter. Yep. Uh She can act. That girl's got, she can act. She was great in this episode. Yeah, she was. Huh. Where you start out. What else have I seen her in? What else have I seen her in? I don't know if you saw Jurassic World, but she was in The Help. She played that character, Hilly. I I can't remember her specifically, but I'm going to go back and look her up. Well, it's a good part for her where she gets to play this person in this sanitized world, constantly wearing pink with her red hair and everybody's dressed in pastels. And then she slowly unravels as the episode goes on. She does unravel. You know, she gets to show a lot of range. I thought she was excellent and good for her. And, you know, may it continue to the next generation. Fabulous. Can Fabulous. I just say that scene with her brother where he's pointing out that she's obsessed with comparing herself to people who are pretending to be happy, which pretty much sums up social media right there. And she looks at him, she goes, well, living with you hasn't been one big rainbow sandwich for me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. That line, it yeah. did. It, it cracked me up. You know, I, I've asked many friends, like, do you know anybody having a bad day on Facebook? Like, no one goes on and says, I'm just really sad today, you know, or, or my knee is killing do, me. Or it's usually a political rant or yeah, it's yeah. a desperate post. Quite often, it keeps us connected in a way that I think is wonderful and does show the best in people. I think people put their best foot forward on Facebook and on social media mostly, and I think that's a wonderful thing. There's much I gain from it that I wouldn't otherwise have because Although, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that that's true. It's interesting because it's kind of like when they study suicide rates and they say most suicides don't happen in the bleak months of winter. They happen in the spring where people look around and they think everyone around them is happier than they are. It's a comparative phenomenon. And, you know, they've well, linked how much time you spend on social media to how depressed you can be just because you assume everyone else is happier. Well, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think there's much to be gained from social media. I think it's also about, um, it's about excess. Excess is a dirty word. I don't like the word excess. And so excess in anything I think can, but we don't, you know, we digress. So I did, I'm really glad I saw it though. And at least it wasn't, you know, the, the prime minister and the pig, which can't Thank get over, you know? Goodness. And I know, right? This series has attracted some huge talent. Yeah. This episode, Nosedive, was directed by Joe Wright, who did Atonement. Oh, he did. Okay, yep. it makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. The screenplay for it was written by Rashida Jones, a Harvard graduate, daughter of Quincy who, Jones. Uh, very, very well done. And also totally believable, unfortunately, in so many ways. But also... The series, you know, even though it disturbs in such a huge way, or did for me, the the one that I'd seen before this, it really does bring up points and sort of gives perspective to things we're not paying attention to that we should. It and, does make me yep. want to unplug. It really I know. does. I know. Unplug. Unplug on Sundays. That's I what I, I do. I think I want to be like Bridget Jones in her last novel, where she said she has zero Twitter followers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we unplug on Sundays. Sunday is my day of unplugness. So Never on um, Sunday. I like it. Yeah, there you go. Never on Sunday. Do you know what Nosedive kind of reminded me of in terms of just what, what? a very, very, very old book? What? The, the Scarlet Letter, oh. where you're dealing with this public shame and society has just ostracized certain characters. I mean, oh. everywhere they go, they know you're ranking. Yeah. Pretty grim. Okay, so that's a nosedive. Thanks for pointing it out. And if you, by the way, if you need to look up your Uber rating, if you don't know how to do it, it's buried, but you can find it. And you'll probably, if anybody has lower than 3.6, please let me know so I can feel I better about myself. I think you're encouraging the madness. Okay, <laughs> there you go. But if you do have one lower than 3.6, let me know so I can feel better about myself, okay? At your own expense. Okay, I went to see, which I'm sure you're not going to go see. I did go to see Inferno with Tom Hanks. Directed by... Father of... Bryce Dallas Howard's father, Ron Howard. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is the third the third installment, hoping it's the last one, I might say. But look, Hanks was great in You've Got Mail, uh, but he just can't carry brilliant. He's not... He can't... This, this character has to be brilliant and have this analytical mind that, that Hanks does not have and cannot pretend to. See, and then I didn't also, like him in You've Got Mail, so I would have really had trouble... <laughs> Well, the then I sort was... of, Ron, 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 I got to talk to you, Ron. What's with the shaky camera at the beginning? I, re- I got seasick sitting there. I felt like I was on the high seas or something. 
and it's not good. And the premise of why the guy who wanted to start the plague would give a roadmap to how to stop it just never made sense to me through the whole thing. You know, I love the work. I love how he interweaves, you know, whether he's interweaving, you know, the running around Rome and angels and demons. I happened to read that book when I was in Rome, so it made it even better. But I mean, I love the books, but I just don't think they've translated this into good movies. And the theater was empty, 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 empty. Now, so out of curiosity, how did how was the part for Seeds of Bob at Knudsen? You know, my favorite from Borgen. Loved that Danish TV show. Oh, she was his counterpart in Inferno, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Okay. She was amazing. But by the way, you could just look at her. Some some people on the screen, you just want to stare at them. And she played the part really, really well, better than Tom Hanks did. If this plague is real. Then we only have 48 hours to stop an extinction level event. I will do everything I can to find it. But the movie is not good. And Ron Howard needs to walk away from Tom Hanks. He's not your guy. He's just not. Trust me. Do you know who you would have casted instead? Um, such a good question. Who can play Super Brainy? Who's the guy who was the guy who broke the German code? Oh, Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah. He could do it. Interesting. And there's zero sexual tension between Tom Hanks and the person he's supposed to be attracted. I mean, the whole oh, thing. Felicity just, Jones. Yeah, just not not working for me. Totally How's not working hair? for me. <laughs> just not a good fit. Okay, but but I love you, Ron. I love so many of the things that you've done. You know, happy days to you moving forward for sure. <laughs> I just want to make sure that you sort of reevaluate and say you're not doing another one. We're done with them. Okay, and now we get to our feature film, Certain Women. I was so afraid I'd get out of law school and be selling shoes. My mom works in a school cafeteria, my sister in a hospital laundry, so selling shoes is the nicest job a girl from my family is supposed to get. Okay, when you bring Kristen Stewart, Michelle Williams, and Laura Dern to the screen, I I mean, it's worth going just to see the three of them on the screen, but I have a million questions because this this movie was so far above my mental pay grade, (laughs) you know, my IQ grade. Okay, first of all, I have to ask, what, how did, were they connected? And w- is the title certain women, that these were certain women that stood out in their own thing that had nothing to do with each other? And is because they wrote three short stories and they just decided to make it into one movie? I didn't get the connection between the three women. Is there one that I missed? You know what's so funny, Hollister? I don't think this movie requires a high IQ. I think this movie requires an inordinate amount of patience. <laughs> <laughs> it may or may not pay off for you, depending on your yeah, personality. It didn't pay off for me, I'm afraid. And of course, when I saw it, I didn't know that it was based on a collection of short stories by Miley Malloy, and her collection's called Both Ways is the Only Way I Want It. A great <laughs> title for a collection of short stories. But unlike her collection, which includes a lot more stories and more characters and is in different states, this, of course, is only based on three of those stories. Right. So for me, they didn't really interweave enough at the end to really feel like there was a payoff. Well, the, certainly the last one with with Kristen Stewart, to me, was the best. Which is interesting because that's the short story that Miley Malloy 
chose to start off her collection with. Interesting. And then they ended with this. And Kelly Reichardt, who directed it, she rewrote these stories for this for this film. She adapted and it was them funny. in the screenplay. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I watched an interview with Chris, Kristen Stewart, and she said that um, she said two things. One is she said that um, she'd always wanted to work with Kelly, which is why she wanted to do this. And this is like Michelle Williams has worked with her three times, so not insignificant. And the reason she wanted to work with Kelly is because Kelly is about silence on the screen, that she likes silence on the screen, and she thinks out of the silence emerges whatever messaging should be coming from the dialogue, which should be minimalistic. And it's funny because Kristen Stewart's usual approach to learning her lines is to quickly memorize them. And then after some wording, she afterwards she adds wording to add idiosyncrasies to her characters. But during the shooting, she was told by the director that she would have to say her lines word for word, stating in an interview that words are very important to her, is what Kelly Reichardt said. So... So Kelly runs a very tight ship, but she also wants minimalistic acting. And I think that was the problem with it. I mean, show me something. To me, it's like watching a still life because there's even some static shots. And it's all about loneliness and isolation and alienation and people seeking a connection unsuccessfully. So when I heard it was going to take place in Montana, I was picturing beautiful horses roaming free maybe filmed on Dennis Quaid's ranch. And instead, it is a, it's pretty depressing. Yeah. Well, not only that, you know, the other thing that Kristen Stewart talked about, which I didn't get until she started talking about, then I got it. She said, you know, how often do you have conversations with somebody where you think you're communicating really well with them and you think they're understanding what you're communicating and you think you're being heard and understood and the truth is they had no idea what you were talking about. And she said that that's what this is all about, is misunderstood connections. And I thought, well, that makes a little more sense. But you know what? There's, you've, got to, you've got to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And you've got to have a reason for me to watch. And I've got to walk away with some value added. And I just didn't get it. I just didn't. Did you? Well, there's not one happy person in this movie. That's true. What are you doing here? I came to see my lawyer. My wife wants me out of the house. You can't keep coming here. It reminded me of how law students coming out of law school think that the number one thing they want when they become lawyers is a lot of client contact. (laughs) And then the more years you practice, the one thing you don't want is so much client contact. Two of these three main characters were lawyers in this movie. One has this completely problematic client, and she ends up in the middle of a hostage negotiation. And the other is Kristen Stewart, who ends up with one of her students right there on the border of infatuation and creepy, which... Yeah, it was sort of creepy. ...was played very well by Lily Gladstone. Yeah, very well done. Native yeah. American, but boy, what a dynamic. I don't mean to keep you from getting to work or anything. I just knew if I didn't start driving, I wasn't going to see you again. I didn't want that. There were a couple of really meaningful lines, though, and I didn't write them down because I, I was there were people sitting next to me, so I really couldn't do a lot of jotting things down during the film. But at one point, um, who was it? Oh, Laura Dern says, I wish I were a man, because then if I say something, people will just listen and believe it. It'd be so lovely to think that if I were a man, people would listen and say, okay. Oh, it would be so restful. 
what she means by having to sell a point of view if you're a woman to be heard. And especially when you're in sort of a consulting, let me tell you what to do kind of way. And I thought that was really, there were a couple of, of biting lines that I thought were really important. That and I thought yet, in that same vignette, when her client ends up taking someone hostage, she's the person all the hostage negotiators send in because she's the only one this guy will listen to. Hey, Will, good news. Your lawyer's here. No one understands what my life has become. In the endo tool, I was irritated. See, you're a bigger person than I am because I got irritated before it was over. No, I was irritated almost like, you know, there's a pomposity to that kind of expression on film that I find irritating. And it's almost like it's self-indulgent by the director. There's something about it that's very self-indulgent. And... I didn't like it, and I'm going to stick with that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, she's going to give me a rating of 3.2, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Little Kelly Reinhardt is not going to, Reinhardt is not going to. Yeah, she's not, she doesn't like me, I betcha. I thought this was so interesting. Miley Malloy was talking about how it's always a question for the author of short story collections, which order you put the short stories in. She said something she's thought a lot about and she still thinks about it all the time. Hmm. And from reading about both ways is the only way I want it. It sounded like there were some stories in there that I would have loved to have seen on the screen. But here's a Hmm. quote from Miley Malloy that I thought was really interesting. She said, sometimes the arranging felt like lining up the batting order for a baseball game. And sometimes it felt like seating people at a dinner party. And sometimes it felt like making a mixtape for someone you love. But mostly it felt like a puzzle with a discoverable solution. And moving the pieces around was part of the pleasure. Oh, I love that. I, I love the too. way she wrote that. I think I'm going to have to go look at the, this book of, of short stories, to tell you the truth. Yes, because as a movie, I just thought it wasn't best served by the cinematic no, medium. Because this puzzle, there were not enough pieces, and they didn't intermingle enough to really grab my attention. But keep in mind, you know, you know, keep in mind, Kelly rewrote it. So it might not, it might be that it wasn't served by this interpretation of the book rather than the book itself might have done better with somebody else interpreting it. Well, they felt like three short stories. So I think they were probably pretty true to the short stories, but it's not something I needed to see on a big screen. If you're going to give me short stories, then give me a bigger collection. But well, don't not only that, I, I kept waiting for the interweaving the of what the connection between them all was, and I just it was never there. Because to me, the the common theme was isolation. Right. Well, there you go. There were some pretty heavy hitters behind this film. Todd Haynes, who directed Carol, was a producer, and in the special thanks, I noticed Rosanna Arquette was thanked and Gus Van Sant, the director. Of you know, Good Kelly has a following, you know, she's got, you know, a following that, you know, sort of are on board with her. After sitting through the three vignettes that were very slowly paced, all of a sudden the, the ending slowly felt very abrupt. You know, it was like they finally just pulled the cord on us. Well, and not only that, they didn't wrap it all together. I mean, you have to put a bow around the entire package. You can't, you know, either that or move it to Netflix and have it be, you know, a series. It just didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. I love original, and I I do not like it when movies feel formulaic to me. But this one seemed like it flouted the conventions that actually would have made this successful as a movie. Huh. 
Okay, can we move on? Because I have one more thing to point out. Absolutely. Okay, moving right along. Guess what else I watched this week? Well, I can tell you, I couldn't stop watching Orphan Black. Now that I finally come to that party, I can't leave the party. Okay, and it is an, uh, it's an incredibly complex party. And that party has more people walking in and out of the party that look exactly the same. Thank you. Your, I your will take spinning. one Tatiana yep. Maslany over three certain women. But you know what that reminds me of? You know how way back when we did a podcast on the documentary The Standbys about all the standbys behind Broadway shows? Yeah, I remember. Right. And we were discussing the difference between a standby, an understudy, and a swing. And a swing is somebody who has to be able to do all the parts in the show in case any one person falls ill. I'm like Tatiana Maslany is the Olympic swing. No, there was another one too. What was the name of that TV show when HBO, I think, first came out? The something faces of she was she had like seven. Oh, the United States of Tara. Uh, exactly. With the Tony United Collette. States of Tara. She was very good too. That was very hard for her to do. I'm preferring Orphan Black. Okay. I, I can hear that. And your silence <laughs> tells the story. So we'll just move right along. In a Kelly okay. Reichardt so while you're watching stuff we've already reviewed, I'm trying to get out into the big bad world. I started watching Westworld. Oh, with your Hannibal Lecter. Well, you know, I have to watch it because of Anthony. You know, Anthony Hopkins and I go way back to Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's complex. It's really interesting. It is, I understand why people are talking about it. And I have a feeling it costs a lot of money to produce. So you better take a look. I'm going to do more on it later after I've seen the whole thing. I have to marinate in this one. This one is very complicated. I don't know how I feel yet. But I did start watching Westworld. And if anybody else is watching Westworld, let me know. You know what I'm really looking forward to? What? There it's not just one, but there are two French movies coming out starring Isabelle Huppert. One's called Elle, and the other is called Things to Come. And I'm really looking forward to both those movies. Well, I'm, I'm so happy for you. Thank you. And those are probably ones you can do yourself. I, but... I feel a little bit of ratingness coming on here. Okay, I, I, a little, think I know. A little, little <laughs> just bit a little of, judgy, you know, Miss Uber little girl. Bit of, I don't want you to lower my ranking of what you think of me. You would give me a 4.0, be, right? You might be uber-reacting to you my would give, excitement You would there. give me a 4.0 as a friend, right? Out of five? You would give me a 5.0 rating, right? <laughs> do I have a gun to my head? <laughs> yeah, you certainly do. Oh, my God. Okay, I don't want to talk to you anymore. See, we're ending this podcast right we now. It's over. Women, I'm getting the one a divorce. I'm calling Sarah Jessica Parker. You and I are getting divorced. It's not happening. <laughs> oh my god. So what? So what would my rating be? Go ahead, Just knock me dead with it. I'm an easy grader. Thanks, O'Toole. Talk to you next week. <laughs> and that's why I'm a pedestrian. <laughs> <laughs>